RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I am your host, Vincent Hill. Today is Tuesday, August the 21st, 2018. This month is just about over, pretty much like this year. It's just about over. It's been a busy uh, couple of weeks, couple of months for me. Yesterday, uh, I was on HLN for two segments. I was very blessed to be able to be there for two segments. We talked about uh, a few things, but one of the things we talked about was this uh, rash of robberies in Nashville where police are saying that they believe the robberies in these homicides, because not only were there robberies, the people were shot and killed as well, are all related. And one of the things I talked about, because it's happening in East Nashville, and I was a police officer in East Nashville, one of the things I talked about was this whole rejunification process that East Nashville went through and is still going through, where you have a lot of the old homes that were kind of run down, they're being refurbished, a lot of you know, younger millennials are moving into them and, you know, they're trying to spruce up East Nashville. Uh, But of course, the problem is you still have the same riffraff, same gangs, same violent offenders just down the street, say James Casey Holmes Projects, which is right around that area. You still have a bad population demographic in that area that never really went anywhere. So what's happening is you get these millennials moving in, these people from out of town moving into East Nashville. They're unsuspecting. They're thinking, hey, I live in a great neighborhood. You know, I'm living in a house that's 250000 that was once 90000 or $80,000. And this is great. I'm in Nashville. I'm in Music City. But if you don't take care of the bad element, you still have those things. So what's happening is these individuals are now looking at all of these people moving here as easy targets because they're not from Nashville for the most part. People are moving there, you know, kind of like people are moving into Atlanta. People are moving there and they assume, oh, this is great. This is a great area to be. But if you're not from there, if you haven't seen the violence that has been going on there, you kind of set yourself up to be an easy target. And that's what I talked about Yesterday on HLN, I know my guys at Nashville Police are working very hard to find out who these two guys are. They believe uh, it's only two guys. I I know uh, one, two, three, three people have been shot and killed. Uh, One woman is now paralyzed, and they believe all of the shootings are related. They're looking for a black Chevy type vehicle. Now, in Nashville, I got to tell you, there's probably four or five hundred black Chevy uh, Impala type vehicles in a 20-mile radius in Nashville. Those are very common vehicles, uh, especially when you're talking about a certain demographic. But I know my guys over at Nashville PD are working hard to bring these guys in, bring them to justice. Because, listen, you never want to live in fear. You should be able to go out, have a good time, not worry about someone coming up to you, robbing you and shooting you. And, you know, one guy was actually just walking to the bus stop They tried to rob him. They shot him. He's now dead. The other lady was out walking her dog. Now she's paralyzed. So 
Nobody should live in fear, especially in the city of Nashville. So I know Nashville PD, my guys over there, I know a few are working very diligently to bring these guys to justice. Now, speaking of violence and living in fear, I want to talk about Chicago. Now, of course, all of the mainstream media has been talking about Chicago for the last couple of weeks. Of course, we heard, if you watch the news, this past weekend, while the city of Chicago had deployed 600 additional officers, that 58 people were shot over the weekend. I believe six of those people actually died between Friday and Saturday night. So you have 58 people shot, six of those people dying, which means 52 either went to the hospital or were injured in some type of way, right? So what the heck is going on in Chicago? Now, you know, we've heard from the mayor who many people say should resign, you know, because hell, he's been there since 2011 and crime every year continues to go up. Now we've been hearing from the police superintendent, Eddie Johnson, who says, you know, that they need uh, tougher sentences for people that are violent offenders, which I agree with, Uh, you know, that they need to get illegal guns off the street, which I totally agree with. You know, anytime I hear the word gun control, I think of the city of Chicago because that's where you need to control guns and not the guns that affect people that buy them legally based on their Second Amendment right. You need to control the illegal guns that are killing six people a weekend, shooting almost 60 people in a weekend. Those are the guns you need to control. Uh, and he says that, you know, if people don't talk, they can't make arrests. I agree with that, too. But I think there's way more to this story than pointing fingers at the prosecution and the judges that let people off with bad sentences. A, because it's not just the same people, although this superintendent, Eddie Jones, says it is. But don't take my word for it. Let me play his audio, then I'll get back to my thought. The truth is, and I know you all are tired of hearing me say it, but as long as we fail to create repercussions for carrying and using illegal guns, or more importantly hold repeat violent offenders accountable for their actions, we're simply going to continue to, to have these discussions on Monday mornings. Because it's the same people who are pulling the triggers in some of these communities. This isn't a widespread issue among Chicagoans. It's the same people. There's a small subset of individuals who think they can play by their own rules because they continue to get a slap on the wrist despite legislation we had passed last year for being a repeat gun offender and breaking the law. Now, one of the things he said there, it's it's the same people. It's repeat offenders. It's a small group. Well, the thing is, though, it's not necessarily the same people, i.e. Little Pookie gets arrested on Friday for shooting someone. Little Pookie's out on Monday, and then Little Pookie shoots another person. What is happening, you have the same groups of people doing these shootings, i.e., you have gangs. So although Little Pookie may have shot someone and now Little Pookie's locked away, now you have Little June who is there to continue the shooting. And then when Little June goes away, 
You have Little May who continues the shooting. So it's not the same people per se. It's the same groups of people, the same demographics of people committing these shootings. And yes, I agree that you need to get illegal guns off the street. Now, Eddie Johnson went on to talk about passing legislation to make it harder for violent offenders to get illegal guns. Well, the problem with that is, A, violent offenders are not going to gun stores to get guns. So I don't see how you can make a statement to say we need to pass legislation to make it harder for violent offenders to get guns because a Chicago has some of the strictest gun laws in the nation. But obviously if you're dealing with 60 shootings a week and six to a dozen people being killed a week, it is not a gun law that's going to change it, especially when you're talking about convicted felons because they're not getting their guns legally anyway. So you can't pass legislation to say we're going to make it impossible for a convicted felon to get a gun. That is just idiotic thinking and it's avoiding the issues that are going on. I mean, okay, granted, 83 illegal guns were confiscated Friday over the weekend, this past weekend. 83 illegal guns. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but the city has had over 1,300 shootings this year. 1,300 shootings this year, and the police department only got 83 illegal guns off the street. There is a huge mismatch in that equation. 83 guns, 1,300 shootings. It's not enough. So out of all of the shootings that they had had this past weekend, three people, three persons of interest are in custody. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that those three people were not directly involved in all 58 shootings that occurred this weekend to include the shooting of a three-year-old little boy. I'm sure the three people in custody were not involved in all 58 shootings that occurred this weekend. So it's not enough. So the city of Chicago said, well, we're going to deploy 600 more officers, which they did. But you still had all of this violence. Now, let's talk about these officers, these 600 officers here for a second. Now, let's be clear. These were not 600 people. They just went out and recruited. They went to the academy. They got their badge and gun and they hit the streets. No, 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 no. These were 600 officers that are already employed by the city of Chicago. Now, they may be detectives. They may be robbery homicide. They may be uh, auto theft. They may be burglary. But they're put in uniform to hit the street. That's how it works. Anytime you deploy additional officers. Now, there's a a photo that went viral, and it's in Chicago. It's two Chicago police officers. They're in one of those uh, paddy wagon-type trucks, and they're asleep, passed out asleep. 
And someone's like, oh, yeah, so much for the 600 plus officers that hit the street. Now, I don't even want to, like, say anything bad about these two officers that were asleep in this photo. Here's where the problem is. Again, you got 600 officers who have other duty assignments. And now you're saying, hey, go out on the street and catch these bad guys. Now, granted, yeah, you just worked 13 hours. I don't care about that. Just go out on the street and catch these bad guys. Well, I I challenge anyone who has just worked a 13, 14 hour day. Then you had court the following day. And now you're being told by your superintendent, go hit the streets. And you realize you've only had two hours of sleep in the last 24 hours. I would challenge anybody to stay awake for eight, a 10, 12 hour shift after you've already done your regular job. And now you're being told to get out on the street. So, yes, in theory, it's great to say, yeah, we're going to deploy 600 officers and the violence is just going to stop. Well, not really. Not A, if you don't have a plan. B, if you don't allow those officers to rest first. C, if you don't strategically place them in the proper areas, it's just not going to work. It's not going to work. We're too far gone from that to say, hey, if we put more officers on the street, this will stop. We are too far gone from that because the problem started way back when the city of Chicago decided to appease the community because they wanted to be politically correct. They didn't want to look racist. They didn't want to look this. Now, the same superintendent, Eddie Jones, says that, oh, well, we need to start relooking at things like, you know, smoking marijuana on the streets. Maybe we should make more arrests for that because remember, a lot of cities got away from that because it was racial disparity. It only targeted the black community and only did this. Well, I always say, don't do the crime. Police won't show up. Color doesn't bring police. Crime does. How many times have I said that? Well, when you start taking away things like, you know, making simple arrests for marijuana and making simple arrests for drinking on the street or simple arrests for a lot of stuff that reduce crime, reduces crime, because you don't want to look a certain way to the community, then to say now, oh, well, let's fix it by just sending more officers on the street. You're too far gone because now people are just like, whatever, the police, whatever, I can do whatever I want because if I do something and you chase me, I can just say, well, you chased me because I was black and now... Everyone's going to protest and I can still go out and do my crime. And then you look like the bad guy. So now to say, oh, let's just put 600 officers. You're too far gone, Chicago. You're way past that. So what can the city of Chicago do to start reducing this crime? So I've I've come up with five steps, five very important steps. The first and the most important, in my opinion, this is why it's first. Allow the police to be the police, but more importantly, allow them to be proactive police. Just like Eddie Johnson said, hey, we need to get back and look at things like drinking in public and marijuana, etc. 
That's called proactive policing. It works. Whether you want to say it's racial disparity, whether you want to say it only targets a certain demographic, whatever you want to say about it, it works. Proactive policing works. Now, back to those two officers that were captured sleeping in the vehicle, the photos viral. You think they were being proactive? No. What they were told, well, just go out on the street and show officer presence. Now imagine, though, if those 600 officers that hit the street this past weekend were actually being proactive, like going out and looking for individuals standing on the corner smoking marijuana or standing on the corner drinking. Imagine the amount of guns they probably would have gotten off the street. For instance, I've stopped people for simple marijuana, and I've also recovered from that same person a gun. Sometimes that gun was stolen. A lot of the times, 99% of the time, the person was a convicted felon who was not supposed to have a gun. Guess what I did from being proactive from what people would say was a simple marijuana possession or some people would argue was uh, racial disparity or targeting a certain individual or police profiling, if you will. Guess what I did from being proactive? I got one illegal gun off the street. So take 600 officers doing the exact same thing and guess how many guns you would get off the street. And then if you continuously do this day after day, week after week, month after month, guess how many guns you'll start to get off the street. But more importantly, these individuals that continue to do this stuff would start to say, you know what? These police are serious. I better watch what I do. These police are serious. Maybe I won't be able to go out and shoot five people this weekend because the chances are a police officer is going to approach me and they're going to find my gun. They're going to find my drugs. They're going to find something. So maybe just maybe I shouldn't go out on these streets. But as it stands right now, the city of Chicago, even though you, you're starting to see the spin where the black community is so tired of the violence. Again, a three-year-old was shot this weekend. A three-year-old. Imagine that. There's starting to be this switch where they want police in the communities. Now, granted, there's still a pretty sizable demographic in Chicago that don't want the police there. They think they're the bad guys. And if they had their way, police wouldn't be able to chase people because, you know, police chase someone, they're going to end up dead or they're going to end up beat. Something's going to happen to the individual. So there's still a little demographic that says they could care less if police are there. They don't want police chasing anybody because this could happen. There's some people that want to change the policy where <laughs> where police can't actually get in foot pursuits, much like we talked about last week with uh, Sacramento. And I talked about how that crime rate there is going to skyrocket because you're taking the authority away from the police. But the city of Chicago, 
Step number one, allow police to be police. Allow them to be proactive. Step number two, Rahm Emanuel, the great mayor, the great Democratic mayor who promised so much to his constituents when he got elected and when he got reelected and when he got reelected. And here we are seven years in and he hasn't proven anything. And remember that switch that I told you had started where the black community is tired of this going on. The same black community that is now saying Rahm Emanuel must go. And remember, I talked about this last week where he's like, oh, crap, I'm, I'm losing the black vote. I know what I got to do. I got to make this a sanctuary city. I got to point the finger at President Trump and say I don't support his policies. I got to let all of these undocumented illegal immigrants into the city. And then I got to give them an ID card so they can vote. But I'm going to make it look like I care for illegal immigrants And I'm going to make it look like I don't support Obama's or I'm sorry, Trump's uh, immigration policy, even though my predecessor, Barack Obama, had the same policy and no one called it racist. But anyway, so Rahm Emanuel makes it a sanctuary city. So guess what happens? All of these Mexican gangs that were in the surrounding areas say, "Ooh, sanctuary city. Oh, sweet. I can go to Chicago and I can run freely. I can bring my drugs into the city of Chicago. And we all know with drugs comes violence because, you know, there's this whole thing about drug territory and drug beefs. And, you know, with drugs comes violence. So you need to get away from this whole. I don't know how you feel about it about sanctuary cities, but I always say you need to be able to vet who's coming in and who's who should come in and who shouldn't come in, right? You don't just let someone walk into your house without looking through the peephole when someone rings your doorbell. You don't just open the door like, hey, come on in. I don't know who you are. I don't know what your intentions are, but come on in. You got to get rid of this sanctuary city mentality. It was not for the best interest of illegal immigrants. It was for the best interest of Rahm Emanuel. Plain and simple. That's all it was. Then you have to reinforce, number three, reinforce community policing. Now, I know it's hard. I know it's really hard, especially at this point. But the way you do it is, A, you don't attack your people like Rahm Emanuel did, saying that, Oh, people need values, kids need character, blah, blah, blah. These are the people that got you in the office. So, A, you don't attack them. You come up with a sensible plan to reinforce community policing. And with that, you don't sit there and you don't degrade your police, which we've seen Rahm Emanuel do. A, my idea, you get the community together, you walk them through the use of force policies, the use of force continuum, you actually give classes on how to keep your child safe while dealing with police. You also give classes on how to interact with police at all times. So that way, 
when you encounter police officers, if you do these things, you will survive a police encounter. This is what you do when you're doing community policing. You don't just get there, have some donuts, say thanks for coming, and that's it. You don't get there and you talk about who has the right parking permit or who has the right vendor permit. That's all well and good, but you have to do more than that. You have to teach people how to deal with police. They need to see it. They need to understand it so that everybody knows what the expectation is. All right, the fourth thing, and, you know, Eddie Jones talked about it. He said people are scared to talk. Right, people are scared to talk. So what are we doing to assure those people uh, feel safe when they talk? Now, one of the things Eddie Johnson talked about was that uh, Rahm Emanuel had approved $10 million for uh, some kind of program. I can't remember. Okay, so if you have $10 million just randomly sitting around, why don't you take a few million of that and, you know, build things like safe houses or, you know, something like that that would make people feel safe to talk. You know, if you got $10 million and you think there's someone that knows something about several homicides, why don't you say, okay, well, we can move you to an undisclosed location because, Since you say it's the same people doing these crimes, if you got people that wouldn't be afraid to talk to them because they talk to the police because they wouldn't fear the repercussions of talking, then maybe you can start to get these same individuals off the streets and in prison for long periods of time. So to say people are scared to talk. Yeah, I know the old saying snitches get stitches. Yes, I get that. But what is the city of Chicago doing to assure the people that want to talk that they will be safe? Part of that lies on the police department. I'm sorry, it does. And the last thing is the city of Chicago, quite frankly, needs to admit that they need help. Now, we've heard several Democratic leaders in the city of Chicago say they are open to the Trump administration coming in and helping out. Now, we've heard some people say send in the National Guard. I don't know exactly what that will do. I don't know exactly how I feel about that. You know, sometimes when you send in a military outfit, if you will, sometimes that can come back to backfire or it looks like a very hostile environment. There's so many things that could happen with that. I don't know how exactly I feel about it. Um, but some people have said that, but more importantly, city of Chicago needs to admit they have, they need help. But the problem is you have this mayor, Rahm Emanuel, who is so anti-Trump that he's like, no, Trump will never come to the city of Chicago. This is a Trump free city. But again, you have black democratic leaders that say, we'll take help from anybody, including president Trump. Now, let's be clear. I don't know how you feel about President Trump uh, or his policies or whatever, but he was in New York City 
during a time when crime was ridiculous. Crime was ridiculous. And what did he do? He started creating jobs. He teamed up with people like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. You know, even though people say he's this big racist guy that doesn't care about the black community. He teamed up with Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton. He started employing people on construction jobs that he was doing in the city of New York. And then there was this guy named Rudy Giuliani who came along, who came up with this plan to start reducing crime in the city of New York. Now, New York at the time was probably worse than Chicago is right now. But right now to this day, I go to New York once a week. I can walk down pretty much any street in New York, with the exception of a few, and feel safe. Whereas even here in Atlanta, there's some places where I just don't feel like I should be walking around because at any time something could happen but not in the city of New York. For the most part, people move around freely without any fear, without worrying about catching a straight bullet or anything like that. So if it worked in New York and if Donald Trump was there when it was going on and he started to create things to get people away from the violence, then guess what? Maybe the city of Chicago should say, you know what, President Trump? Your predecessor, Obama, couldn't fix it, even though he was from Chicago. You know what? Maybe we should listen to you to get an idea of what we need to do economically to stop the violence. (laughs) I'm just saying, because whatever they're doing right now in the city of Chicago obviously is not working. 600 officers that you had to pay overtime to and still 58 people were shot and killed. So let's just do this from a math standpoint. I made pretty good money when I was working overtime on the police department. I know what I brought home. So times 600 of that, that just costs the city, the taxpayers, the same people that are in fear of their lives right now, in fear of walking down the street. That just costs them a lot of money. Trust me. And it didn't work. So if what you're doing is not working, maybe it's time Chicago officials to admit you need help, whether it comes from the White House or wherever it comes from, just admit you need help. Stop pointing the finger. Stop blaming the prosecutors. Stop blaming the judges. And especially Rahm Emanuel, stop blaming your people that voted for you saying, oh, you need to keep teach your kids morals. They need character. Yeah, what you need is help. And until you admit it, your city will continue to go down in flames. All right, we are out of time. And as always, I want to focus on my 10-7 segment. Tonight, I want to honor police officer Michael J. Mikowski, Milwaukee Police Department, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This one's kind of special to me. If you don't know, I graduated high school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, way back when. It was in the 90s, just put it that way. And I was also uh, on the Milwaukee Police Department as a Milwaukee police aide. It's a program for people that want to be in law enforcement. Uh, So I did that right after high school. So when I saw this and I read it, I 
when this officer was shot and killed. I knew exactly where this happened. Uh, his end of watch was Wednesday, July 25th, 2018. Police officer Michael Mikowski was shot and killed while attempting to apprehend a wanted subject in the area of 28th Street and Wright Street. The subject was wanted for weapons violations, narcotics violations, and violation of parole. Officer Mikowski and other officers of the Special Investigation Division located the man in the area and attempted to take him into custody. The man fled on foot and the officers pursued him into a nearby home. The man ran up a set of stairs and encountered a locked door, at which time he hid a large pile he hid in a large pile of clothing on a landing for approximately ten minutes. As officers searched the house, Officer Mikowski walked up the stairs to check the second floor. The man suddenly emerged from the pile of clothes and shot Officer Mikowski without warning with a forty five caliber handgun. He then shot and wounded two other officers before running out of ammunition and surrendering. He was charged with Officer Mikowski's murder and two counts of attempted murder in addition to other charges stemming from the incident in the original warrants. Officer Mikowski had served with the Milwaukee Police Department for 17 years. He is survived by his wife and three sons. So that just goes to tell you, As I said on HLN yesterday, or last week, I should say, there's nothing routine about policing. This guy hid under a pile of clothes and uh, shot this officer for no other reason than not wanting to go back to jail. So when you see a police officer and you think their job is easy and you think it's a no-brainer, think again. He was 52 years old. 17 years on the job, and now he's not here because this guy didn't want to go back to jail. I want to thank Officer Michael Mikowski for being brave enough to serve the citizens of Milwaukee for 17 years. And that city itself is not an easy city to live in, even way back when, when I was living there and I graduated high school. Thank you for your service. My prayers to your family. Godspeed to you. I want to thank you for listening as always, and I'll see you right here, same time next week, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. Do you love college football? Of course you do. And there's no better place for your college football conversation than right here on Rush the Field. I'm Scott Seidenberg, and alongside my co-host, veteran coach, scout, and consultant Chris Landry, we're going to break down the college game from all different aspects. Whether it's breaking news, big-time matchups, or just arguing about the rankings, Chris and I will have it all covered. So join us on Rush the Field with me, Scott Seidenberg, and Chris Landry. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Come.